Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am on a special location today, and so is, is Daniel, who we'll say hi to in a second. We're out here in Las Vegas, uh, right next to the Mandalay Bay uh, Hotel, where Black Hat is going on here for 2022. So uh, more on that in a little bit. But first, let's go around and meet the team. Uh, we've got Don Pazette, who's uh, holding down the home base. Don, how you doing? Yeah, you're doing great. You know, with you guys out of the office, I've got all this room to myself. I can relax. I'm, I'm actually not wearing pants right now. It's amazing. It's great. Are you watering the plant? <laughs> no, I guess I should. <laughs> I, actually, can I just pour my coffee in that? Would that work? I, it's better than what it's been getting, which is, I think, nothing. <laughs> So thank you for that. And uh, Daniel, you're uh, just a few floors below me right now. How's it going down there? Uh, my sweat is sweating. It's hot here. <laughs> Super hot. Uh, but uh, and that's saying cool. something. Like, coming, from, yeah. coming from Florida. That, this is a, it's a different hot. It's a dry it's heat. definitely a different hot. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what they mean by that. Hot just seems hot to me. <laughs> yeah. It's like an oven. It's a lot more like an yeah. oven than a sauna. Yeah. But it's, okay, it's not that good. makes more sense. So, in terms of Black Hat, it's actually getting started uh, pretty much tomorrow is when when the main events kick off. So, we don't have really any news from that yet. But on next week's episode, uh, it'll actually be Daniel and I filming um, on location here, and we'll have some cool interviews and stuff. And so, we'll get to talk a little bit more about what's going on at the conference. But for now, uh, let's get into the regular old news from the week. And our first article comes to us from Tom'sHardware.com where Intel plans to bring Wi-Fi 7 to client platforms by 2024. And uh, is, is this something that, that we expected to be coming out at this point? Have we been waiting for this, like how we've been waiting for Top Gun Maverick to come out for, for two or three years? Yeah, this one was pretty well expected. We, we didn't know exactly when we were going to see it go mainstream. Wi-Fi 6 hasn't been out all that long, but they started work on Wi-Fi 7 right away. There's always that that transition period where you might be able to get a, a wireless access point that supports a new Wi-Fi standard, but it takes a while before your phones, your laptops, all the other devices you own start to update to support it. So Intel is basically coming out and saying, look, we're going to have Wi-Fi 7 rolling out mainstream in 2024. And the way most of us should interpret that is if you're about to upgrade your wireless, you might want to wait and and jump straight to Wi-Fi 7 next year, or well, a year and a half from now. Uh, if you're not about to upgrade or if you just upgraded your wireless, don't worry about it, right? Like Wi-Fi 7, it's a it's a big jump. Uh, it, it bumps the maximum. If you went to Wi-Fi 6, Wi-Fi 6's maximum was somewhere around 10 gigabit. Wi-Fi 7, it goes all the way up to 40 gigabit, which is pretty impressive. But for most people, you're not going to be able to use that until your end devices, you know, those those individual nodes are updated to be able to support it too. Uh, and it does it through some neat way, neat methods. Uh, you know, right now, like when you see Wi-Fi networks, they might be 2.4 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz. Well, with Wi-Fi 7, it uses 2.4, 5, and 6 gigahertz to communicate. And so if your device is connected on all three bands, you can get up to 40 gigabit of bandwidth, which is pretty impressive. Okay, so you're connecting to multiple ones because right now i feel like don't you like choose between the five gigahertz or the or the 2.5 yeah and you know for a little while there were routers that were advertising mimo support right multi-in multi-out they you'd see the ones that had all the different antennas around it so you could connect to more than one antenna at the same time 
And that was one way of going about it. With this, you're connecting on three different frequencies. And there'll likely be other vendors that make it where you can connect on more than one antenna too and get even higher, but that'll be proprietary. That won't be part of the standard. Don, do you well, think that calling. because it's such a large jump in speed that we're going to see people kind of racing to upgrade to the latest standard so that they can take advantage of that? Well, they're saying that by getting to 40 gigabit, that's a sweet spot where it basically obsoletes wired connections. So, you know, wired networks, you know, if you build out a home network right now, building out a one gig network is cheap. You know, that that's like the bottom line is a gigabit. And most people's internet connection is only a gigabit anyway. And so as long as Wi-Fi is over a gigabit, you're fine. But if you're streaming 4K video and things like that internally, you might want a faster network. Well, 40 gigabit is pretty much the max that people are going to get on an Ethernet-based network right now anyway. So this begins to replace wired. Yeah, and not to call anybody out, but the, the pyramid-shaped hotel that we're in, I believe it's on Wi-Fi, uh, Wi-Fi 1 or 2 um, <laughs> standard right now. So Yes, it's proto-Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, hotel Wi-Fi is special. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get there. Then not in 2024, but... Somewhere down the line. All right, well, let's move on now to our next article, which is from Pharonix.com. Fedora 37 to offer official support on Raspberry Pi for devices. And so, yeah, this is new. In, in, in the past, you know, when I, when I get a Raspberry Pi, it's still going to come with, uh, what, their, their proprietary um operating system and this is just an option now that i can i can upgrade to yeah so they you know when you get a raspberry pi technically it doesn't come with an operating system at all it has a memory card oh. slot and then you can get raspbian their their uh debian variant that they run uh and you can load that onto the raspberry pi and that's what they've done since the very beginning but it was definitely focused more for uh hobbyists and developers not for production use so we started to see other distros like ubuntu has officially supported the raspberry pi for quite some time so if you you wanted a operating system that was a little more secure, a little more robust and professional, you could do Ubuntu. But that was about it. All of the other ones were definitely focused on the hobby market. Well, now we're seeing Fedora jump in there. And I do think this one's a little bit misguided. Like they, they say they, they held off, but the reason they're doing it now is because the Raspberry Pi finally has support for its 3D, like it has all the drivers that it needs to, to enable all the hardware. Uh, but they say the Raspberry Pi 4 is a widely available, reasonably priced device. And both of those statements are absolutely not true right now. Daniel, didn't you try and buy one recently? Yeah. So like, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, I tried to buy one completely sold out and the prices were for like a a two gig or four gig grass pie for was like 182, $200. Uh, it was way more expensive than the last time I bought one. And even, even though the raspberry zeros and the Picos, everything has extremely jumped up in price. And of course the other markets that, that kind of compete with the raspberry that saw them go up in price because everybody stormed to try to get something else because they couldn't get their hands on a raspberry. But I, I beg if, if if you go on eBay right now and try to look up a Raspberry Four, you're going to drop some bones on it. That's for sure. Yeah, I have a uh, a four gig and an eight gig model sitting on my desk at home, and I, I'm kind of tempted to sell them on eBay or whatever because they're they're going for way over what I, I paid for them, even even used. But I needed a Raspberry Pi Three A plus for a project the other day. You know, the really small form factor, not not the Pico, but the 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 smaller form factor of the full processor. And uh, they normally sell for like thirty dollars. I ended up paying sixty five to get one off of eBay. Uh, so you know the prices are jacked up right now. Not a great time to get into Raspberry. 
Raspberry Pi. So I think Fedora, like they, they must have just had this scheduled out and it just happened to fall right here. So their, their reason for doing it's not necessarily in the right place. But the other thing that I want to remind everybody about is Fedora uses a rolling release cycle and they do not do long-term support versions. So Fedora distros, when they release, so this is Fedora 37, it's only supported for six months. And so six months from now, you're expected to upgrade to Fedora 38. So if you're building an IoT project based on Raspberry Pi, Fedora is probably not going to be the distro you want to use. But if you want to whip up like uh, one of those Raspberry Pi 400 keyboards, uh, and those keyboards are actually still available. Those you can get pretty easily. Um, if you want to set up a desktop, like Fedora does a good job for that. You just have to be ready to upgrade every six months. So I'd I'd probably still stick with Ubuntu for my projects, but that's just because of of you know the the reliability and consistency that, consistency that I need. That's all I need to know. Uh, that's what I'll do as well then for all my projects. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on now to our next article, which is looking back at something we've talked about before. So it is our Deja News segment. Deja News. Thank you, Beyonce. All right. This one comes to us from TheVerge.com. DuckDuckGo browser's stricter privacy protection will also apply to Microsoft scripts now. And so uh, I, I honestly don't recall what we've covered before, Don, that's the same. Is it something about the Microsoft scripts or something sure. about DuckDuckGo? So DuckDuckGo, if you're not familiar with it, we, we covered this a few months ago, but DuckDuckGo is a in theory, privacy-focused search engine. So you can go and do searches on it and know that your data is not being harvested like it is at Google and Bing. Now, DuckDuckGo gets their search results largely from Bing. So it's kind of like rebranding. They, they license a lot of that from Microsoft. And their privacy focus is why a lot of people will use it. But a few months ago, a security researcher found where there were certain Microsoft ad tracking scripts that still worked even when you were using DuckDuckGo. And so information was being provided to Microsoft that we, as the end user, might not necessarily have known. So they, they took a lot of heat for that. There was a lot of negative press about DuckDuckGo compromising to one of their sponsors, vendors, that Microsoft was bribing their way through their privacy protection. Uh, and it's kind of rode that way for a few months. Well, now DuckDuckGo, their, their CEO has come out and said... You know, this has turned out to be a challenge. A lot of people are disappointed with the decision, so we're rolling that decision back. And they're making it where the Microsoft scripts are no longer allowed to run, so they're being blocked just like a lot of the other scripts that they they prevent. Uh, however, there's one little thing, which is that they do still display ads, and if you click on a Microsoft-served ad, then the Microsoft script will still execute. But if you just see the ad and don't click on it, the Microsoft reporting scripts are blocked, your data is protected and safe, so it's operating more in the way that it, that it used to be. And uh, Daniel, you probably have better feedback on this than I do, because you use DuckDuckGo as your daily engine, don't you? I used to. I used to, right? And then as Brave became a little more popular, I started messing with that. And then I realized that they had shifted away from using DuckDuckGo as their search engine. I think Brave has their own search feature now. And uh, then I started looking at others like StartPage. You know, there's a couple other privacy-focused type search engines out there. I think StartPage is probably one of the more private. If I'm, I could be wrong on that, but I think the last time I checked, it was supposed to be one of the more private type of things out there. Uh, and then, of course, you start seeing all the news coming out about DuckDuckGo. And they're not really privacy focused, they're pseudo privacy focused, you know, so I just kind of abandoned them at that point and was like, well, I've got other options that seem to be a bit more robust. 
So it's actually been a while since I've been a DuckDuckGo user, and it seems like I probably made the right decision on that. So, you know, on, on Monday night, Google had a little outage, and it's the first time in as long as I can remember that I couldn't do a search on Google's homepage. Going to Google.com was actually down for me for a brief while, and that has not happened in a long time. And Google invests more on keeping that homepage up than any other company on the planet. So it was, it was amazing to see an outage. Uh, but when that happened, I, I needed to search for, for some information. I've become dependent on search engines just like everybody else. Uh, so I said, well, I guess I'll use Bing. And I went and I did a Bing search, and I couldn't find the results that I wanted. You know, the <laughs> results were kind of crappy. And about 15 minutes later, Google was back up, and I got what I wanted. But I did start looking at some other search engines, and I went to DuckDuckGo, and and I I struggle with getting the results that I want. And so I, I, I'm curious. So, Daniel, you haven't used Google in a while. You've been off it for, for over a year, I think, right? And, and did you have to, like, relearn how you do your searches, or do you just deal with subpar results? So so honestly, I use a variety of search engines and I kind of have, you know, my niche things. If I want to kind of get in a, you know, just looking for more odd results, I will actually use DuckDuckGo or Bing um, so that I can see if I'm missing anything that might not be getting prioritized in the other browsers. Especially if I'm, like you said, you're not really seeing what it is you're looking for. Google typically is pretty good at that kind of stuff. I have all the, you know, I, I just don't click on the ads and I do the tracking and I try to disable everything, but I don't not use Google. I just use it in certain ways for certain things. I use start page for certain ways for certain things. And sometimes it's a conglomeration of all these three or four or five things together so that I can make sure, because sometimes I'm looking up really, really esoteric stuff. Google has some nice features that help me do that when I know exactly what I'm trying to get. And I can use those like Google Dorks to make my my search crafted to be exactly what I'm looking for. Of course, I have to deal with tracking and things like that. Well, you know, that is, that's why you use, you know, you know uh, a browser that you're not logged into and you're running through a VPN or whatever the case is. You try to obfuscate some of those things. And th that's just kind of how I go about it. Is it a lot more work? Yeah, probably. But once it becomes, once it became a part of my workflow, it, it, I don't really notice it, honestly. Now, I'm always curious about the other search engines and whether or not people actually use them. And I, I think Peter would actually have good insight on this one because, uh, you know, I, I just use Google. I, I've used it for a long, long time, and I've, I've used Google since they launched. And so that's kind of just what I've gotten used to. Uh, and I know that in our in our day jobs, we actually pay for advertisements in Google. So we do Google AdSense and all that. Uh, Peter, do, do we buy ads in Bing or any other search engines? We do. Um, we we buy some in Bing. I know uh, it's it's you know not near uh, as as busy as, as what we're doing uh, on on the Google side. Um, you know, but then uh, you know depending on how you look at it, a lot of people consider YouTube one of the largest search engines out there too. So we do we do a lot there, um, as well as Facebook and places like that. But uh, but no, I mean Google Google's still uh, where most of that money is going for us. I wonder if we could still buy ads on Lycos. <laughs> it's probably pretty cheap if you can. Yeah. All right. What What was your so Lycos? Um, when I got started on the internet, I, I got started right before the web really became popular, and so I didn't have a search engine originally. I had a notepad that I would write websites down on, uh, and then Yahoo was kind of the dominant search engine in the beginning because they had the hand curated list. But I, yeah. I kind of went back and forth between Yahoo, Lycos, and web crawler. So I. I don't know that any of them are really viable today. Yahoo just uses Bing and 
Lycos and Webcrawler are probably gone. Uh, what was you guys' uh, first say, search engine? I, I want to say I used to use one called Hasta La Vista. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I, you remember? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one I used for a long time. Long was, time. That was my go-to. It, it was Alta Vista. Uh, yeah, Alta Vista. Okay, I was going to say that. I was like, my, the one I was using sounded similar to that too, but it wasn't Hostel Vista. Yeah, Alta Vista was. I, I, I want to say that it wasn't Alta Vista. I want to say it was called Hostel Vista. And it was, maybe, it was yeah. a different browser. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. But maybe maybe you guys are right. I'm just misremembering. That's totally possible. Oh, no, no. I, I have. Astalavista.box.sk. I remember that one because if you wanted to bootleg software, that was the one you went to. Oh, is that what you used it for? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I didn't, didn't know, know that, Don. I'm sure that's not oh. what you did use. <laughs> I am shocked to discover that that's how it was mainly used. Honestly, <laughs> appalled even. Uh, you know, you well, think you know, know a browser or a search engine. Uh, who knew? Who knew? Uh, yeah, it's like I, Bitcoin. I we think that, of all the good it can do. <laughs> I don't want to say that I was born with a silver spoon, uh, you know, in my mouth, but. But I used Ask Jeeves uh, quite a bit, <laughs> and Jeeves never let me down. What he what he means is he actually asked his butler Jeeves, right, to find these and things he out for Yeah, yeah, he would search on Ask Jeeves then and yeah. let me know what he found. So I don't know if this I is I don't know if it's a state of Florida thing or not, but you guys know the the attorney commercials where it's the one eight hundred ask. Um, Ask Gary. Ask Gary. There we go. Uh, 100 Ask Gary. And like Gary is not a real person or an attorney. Neither is anybody that works at that company. Uh, But you call and they refer you to attorneys. And so when Ask Jeeves came out, I was like, this is like Ask Gary. I can already get an attorney that way. (laughs) Yeah. Where do I go when I'm in an accident? Jeeves or Gary? Yeah. I don't know. Alexa. You ask Jeeves and he'll ask Gary. (laughs) It's it's kind of a, you know, six degrees of separation. Uh, yeah. When I get home, I'm gonna have to ask one of my echoes to find me an attorney and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask Gary. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on uh, to our next segment today, uh, which is dough. All right. This one comes to us from ArsTechnica.com. Post quantum encryption contender is taken out by a single core PC and one hour and so <laughs> that that sounds really bad in in the headline but I, I know you know daniel you were reading a little bit about this and and it seems like there's a little more to the story here oh yeah it, it seems like so according to the article this was one of the alternative quantum encryptions the ones that aren't necessarily going to be used but are kind of like in the wings as a backup, just in case we find out something wrong with the ones they are going to use. So it didn't seem as devastating to me after I found that little tidbit out. I'm like, okay, so we're not going to use it. Maybe we're, we're probably not going to use it, but we busted it. Now it is still impressive though, that you know, a modern, just normal computer was able to defeat something that was supposed to be quantum encryption Yeah, in an hour. <laughs> And that's really kind of like the moral of the story, the lesson that, that you should take away, right? So uh, when NIST went forth trying to pick some new encryption methodologies or methods, uh, they actually did a four-round process. And in the first round, they had 69 different candidates that they were picking from. And they whittled that down through round two and round three. And going into round four, they were down to 
seven finalists, and eight alternates. And so this particular algorithm, it's called Psych, uh, which stands for, I should have had this ready before I said it, uh, Super Singular Isogeny Key Encapsulation. Uh, and so uh, what Psych was, was one of those alternates. And it didn't get picked. So at the end of round four, they picked three finalists and one alternate. We reported on that a few months ago. So, um, so you know, those guys, those are all safe. But this is one of the alternates. And I made a comment when I was talking about the four that were picked. I said... These were picked, but you'd be a fool to use them today. You need to wait. Give them some time to be out in the field, to be tested and vetted. There are some people who will wait 10 years before they adopt a new encryption algorithm. Uh, other people you know, will go much faster, especially with quantum computing advancing the way that it is. But this, the lesson here is that one of these alternates, an alternate that made it all the way to the fourth round, right? So we went from 69 candidates all the way down to like 15. This was one of the last 15. Uh, turns out there was a flaw in it. And the flaw was so fatal that you just needed a single core for less than an hour to be able to completely break open its private keys and negate all of its security. And it was all based around a flaw that was originally detected back in 1999. So this is a, a flaw that's been around for over 20 years, and it's evolved a bit and changed, you know. But but it's the same concept, uh, and it was able to be, be used against this one and broke it open. So it's a great example of where the developers of this algorithm were really focused on on preventing quantum computers from working and forgot some of the just more mundane, run-of-the-mill attacks that are out there, and it ended up being left vulnerable for it. Exactly. That's, that's what I was thinking. Well, I'm reading, like, if you scroll down to the article, they have, like, parts of the actual algorithm and, and formulas they've used. And this is, I mean, if, if, if you know that stuff, it's probably pretty interesting. Uh, otherwise, it's very yeah. confusing. And, so it just uh, gives you nosebleeds. So I can, I can simplify it a little bit. Um, you, you know what a parabola is, right? Uh, so, you know, parabola is normally a curve and the two ends go off into infinity and that's that. Uh, but that, that's the normal parabola, the one we learn about in high school. But then when you go into college, if you're a mathematician, you learn about all sorts of crazy stuff in math. And you learn that the stuff we learned in high school, even the calculus we learned in high school is like building blocks. It's not anywhere close to some of the real things they can do. Uh, but in certain situations, the the graph can kind of double back in on itself. And it, it almost looks like a flower when you see these things. And that makes it where there's like more than one way to get into that particular formula's results. And they can take advantage of that to find alternate ways to get in and end up with the same results as you would if you had the private keys, which effectively tells them what the private key is. Now, that's a super oversimplification, and I am not a mathematician, so I can't explain exactly how that works. But but that's the idea is that there's more than one way into this this formula's graph, basically, to end up with the same result, and that's its weakness. And so they were able to take advantage of that, and it just didn't take a lot of resources. So don't be quick to jump on new security bandwagons. That's that's the lesson. It stays like this. So what's your what you're saying here, Don, on the podcast? <laughs> Uh, right. Uh, I mean, what I would see him saying that what you're saying, Don, is, is that really smart people came up with this encryption algorithm and then even smarter people said you're dumb. <laughs> yeah, or, or equally smart people that may have just looked at it from a different approach. That's that's why you have to have peer review. That's why these things need to be out in the open like this. Uh, but there's always Listen, somebody in my smarter. mind, Don, they're just like <laughs> completely like 
berating each other and using this as an opportunity to make their peers feel small. In your mind, it was like a rap battle, like at the end of Eight Mile. And <laughs> right. Don't take that away from me, man. So lab coats just well. flying everywhere. <laughs> I'm sure that's how. All it right. Well, we've got a little bit more news to get to. Uh, we're going to find out who got pwned in just a moment, but let's go ahead and take a quick break first, and we'll be right back with more on TechNet with Tom Pizet right after this. Welcome to IT Pro TV, an e-learning company with thousands of hours of engaging video training for IT professionals with fresh content added daily. What makes IT Pro TV stand out? It all starts with our edutainers who create better than classroom experiences for training you look forward to watching. So an edutainer is someone who takes a topic, an, an educational topic, and makes it more fun, enjoyable. My vision for IT Pro TV was to make the product that I wish I had when I got started. The dashboard is great because you can actually pick up right where you left off. You can also end up seeing new courses that are available to you, and with a membership, you have access to a variety of study tools. Follow along with virtual labs and test your skills with practice tests. And unlike traditional training, you aren't handcuffed to your desk. Sure, you can watch from there or from your couch with Apple TV and Roku apps, or from anywhere with mobile apps. The training is even available for download. If you're ready to watch and learn with the IT pros, check out the flexible membership choices online today at www.itpro.tv. Do you know what's better than being an IT Pro TV member? Being a member for free. Hi, I'm Dom Pazette, co-founder and edutainer here at IT Pro TV. Once you sign up for an IT Pro TV personal membership subscription, you'll automatically be part of our referral program. Then all you have to do is share your personal referral link and code with your friends and colleagues. Every time one signs up, you get money off your subscription. Sign up enough and your membership is free. That's right, access to all your favorite IT training, totally free. Kind of feels like stealing, doesn't it? Check out the link below to learn how to get your code and start sharing today. All right, welcome back to TechNATO with Don Pazette. Uh, a couple more articles to get to, as I mentioned, and both of these actually are part of the same segment, and we're going to find out who got pwned. Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! All right, this first one is from slash.org. Twitter confirms vulnerability exposed data of anonymous account owners. So that's the part that confused me a little bit. What do we mean by anonymous account owners? Is there, are all these Twitter profiles public? Well, you know, some social media networks like Facebook, they require you to use your real name. Uh, not everybody does, but in, in theory, you're not anonymous on Facebook. Twitter's not like that. So anybody can sign up for a Twitter account and you can use whatever handle you want and it doesn't give out your identity, right? So there's anonymity that's attached to it. Um, and what happened here is an attacker was able to take advantage of their, their login process to attempt to log in with a Twitter handle and it would fail. But in the, in the API and the backend work that was happening, they could actually see the email address or phone number that was attached to that account to figure out who it was. And so the handle might be, I'm trying to think of what, uh, uh, what handle Peter would use, but I'm only thinking of wildly inappropriate things. So uh, uh, you're correct. That is right. So yeah. Yeah. Ginger FL, you know, whatever. <laughs> and that's that's the handle. Well, when you go to log into a website, you probably notice this on other websites. If you go to put in your username and your password and it's wrong, it used to tell you something like, "Nope, that password is incorrect." Well, that message 
told you the username was correct. The username exists. That user has an account on that system. And if it was a like a naughty site or something, that was a way to kind of out that people were using that site. If you go to playboy.com and you run Donald Trump's email address and it says the wrong password, well, now you know that he had an account there, right? That kind of idea. So most websites have stopped doing that. If you put in a username and a password, it then just tells you outright, nope, sorry, that uh, that, that data is incorrect. But it doesn't tell you if it was the username or the password that are wrong. And Twitter, Twitter behaves that way. It doesn't tell you that that information was wrong. But the thing is, the Twitter handles are public. People can see the the handle that you use on Twitter, and so they know the username is valid, and then the password is invalid, so they, they know the account exists. Well, in the background, as the API calls are happening between your browser and their site uh, to authenticate the user, an attacker found a flaw in it. And actually, a, a uh, ethical hacker had found this flaw and noticed that they were able to figure out the contact information for certain people based on the, the login process. They reported it to Twitter, and Twitter made an announcement saying, hey, you know, we found this flaw, but uh, it was reported by an ethical hacker, and so we don't have any evidence that anyone took advantage of this. However, it turned out that uh, Bleeping Computer had been in contact with a, a, uh, an attacker or a hacker uh, a few months prior. And they had said they used this method. And so Twitter took a look, and and now they're having to back up on that and say, well, actually, it turns out before the ethical hacker reported it, there was a malicious threat actor that did gain access, and they were able to pull information on more than 5.4 million accounts, which if you've been following the Elon Musk Twitter acquisition, uh, 5.4 million accounts is like 10 times the amount of actual human users on the site. Perfect. Yeah. So, uh, I, I guess you know, while this is bad, uh, at the same time, maybe having uh, these people be less anonymous will make Twitter just a nicer, happier place uh, because you know people no longer can hide behind that anonymity. But but this is something that's been fixed, right? Uh, it has been fixed. Although you know, obviously, this one threat actor that they know of gained access to the data. There could have been others that they didn't know about that that also did it because you know you never the, the way this attack works is you never actually log in you're just pulling information and attaching a real email address and phone number to an anonymous handle so you're de-anonymizing somebody but it, it's not exactly in Twitter's logs that that information was revealed so they don't really know who all has access to that so if you are a political activist and you've been tweeting out messages under a particular handle uh, you know it's the potential is there that your life could be at risk or, you know, uh, you could be under threat of being thrown in jail because you've now been de-anonymized. Exactly. And I should point out that is, is uh, it all that bad ginger in my uh, Twitter <laughs> to get those people out of there. Yeah. I've got ginger in my Twitter and handled because I'm a big Gilligan's Island fan. It has nothing uh, to do with um, the way I look. As you should. Today I learned. There you go. And uh, Daniel, you have nothing to add to this, right? Because I learned today you do not have a Twitter account. I do not have a Twitter account. And uh, it's funny, some of the people here at Black Hat were like, what do you mean you don't have Twitter? That's, that's where I get all my information. I'm like, well, it is not the only game in town. And I get to avoid all the nasty people that are on Twitter, or apparently all the nasty non-people that are on Twitter doing mean. And, and my, I all had a Twitter bots. account. It just became... Yeah, it was it was not nice. I'll just put it that way. It was not. I was at work one time and I was like, "Oh, I got to turn this off," 
because it got not safe for work real quick. Now, maybe they've changed things since then. <laughs> but, but I was like, man, people are going to think I'm straight up over here doing something I should. And all I did was peruse my Twitter feed. And I was like, you know, I feel like me and Twitter could go ahead part ways at this point in time. So we did. I like LinkedIn. LinkedIn tends to be very nice. It's all business focused. It's all about the things you're trying to do. Where Twitter just tends to be a lot of people doing whatever, you know. And uh, I didn't like that environment, so I, yeah. I jumped ship. I think in general, people are nicer when they're looking for a job. Yeah. Weird, weird how that works <laughs> That's out. That's a good point. It? Yeah, there, there, are times, there are times after using Twitter where you feel like you really just need to take a shower and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and wash it all the way because it, it can get pretty bad there. And that's why we use Truth uh, Social. Well, let's go ahead and find out uh, that yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> I'm a gab guy myself. <laughs> of course. Uh, nope. Nope, not touching this. All right. Uh, well, they weren't the only ones that were pwned this week. Uh, it turns out that uh, our next article, according to bleepingcomputer.com, that Twilio uh, discloses a data breach after SMS phishing attack on employees. And Daniel uh, and I were talking before uh, we started recording that it always seems to come back to um, you know the, those employees, and, and they are, are the weakest link once again. In this case, so was there anything unique about this attack? A uh, couple of unique things, and, and the first thing I want to point out is that obviously it's a bad week for companies whose names start with TW. So if you work for a company that starts with TW, you need to check your logs. You've TWI. likely been breached. Uh, oh yeah, TWI. We can go an extra letter on that one. Uh, although I, I wouldn't rest my security posture on that third letter. So, <laughs> so definitely check that out. But um, Twilio, if you're not familiar with Twilio, they are like the largest provider of voice over IP communications. If, if you need trunks, digital line, you know, any kind of communication like that, Twilio is a big player. In fact, a lot of the third-party products you buy that use voice are really just laid on top of Twilio infrastructure. So I, I see things like Salesforce phone dialers and things that, all built on Twilio. So really, really big in the voice space. But they have a couple other products in their portfolio. And there was one in particular that stood out for me because a couple of years ago, Twilio acquired Authy. Authy makes a multi-factor authentication app that runs on your phone. And they were one of the first ones that would let you store a bunch of different MFA accounts, but you could back it up and restore it to a different phone very easily. The original Google Authenticator wouldn't let you do that. And so when MFA was first coming out, if you got a new phone, you had to go and turn off MFA on all of your accounts and then turn it back on again on your new phone, which is super frustrating, uh, you know, especially now where I've got like 60 or 70 sites in my uh, authentication wallet. I used to use Authy really heavily uh, for many years. Uh, just about a year ago, I switched over to the LastPass authenticator, and I, I had my data destroyed through, uh, through Authy, which turned out to be fortuitous because in this case, the attackers managed to get employee credentials and gain access to the employee network. Now, in theory, the data that I store in Authy is encrypted and backed up and stored on Twilio servers. So the attacker likely had access to that. Now, I trust that when I use Authy, the key for my backup is encrypting it before it uploads to their system. So in theory, the attacker would only have access to an encrypted version of whatever MFA keys that I had stored there, right? But there's trust. I trust that that's how Authy works. Maybe it isn't, right? And so think about what, what damage could an attacker do if they had access to all of your MFA keys, right? That's the thing that's going unseen here. Twilio is known as a voice company, 
But that Authy authentication app is used by millions of people. And to me, that's a bigger risk. Uh, they also did announce how the attackers got in, which was mostly through text messages. So they they sent text messages to employees saying that their password had expired and giving them a link. They had purchased a, do a domain, twilio-sso.com. And so it had Twilio in the name. People were willing to tap on it. And that's how they were getting people's credentials. So pretty textbook on the attack, but a little more significant, in my opinion, because of the Authy service. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Well, uh, you're right. Bad, bad week to be at a Twit-based company. I don't know who. I'm trying to think if there's other TWI uh, companies out there, but I'm sure they are. Twit. Uh, but we'll probably see them next week. Twit. Twit. Oh, what yeah. about Twit? Yeah. yeah. Twitch. And Twitch uh, also. You know, if it's just TW, you've got all of the Taiwan domains. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Don't this could be big. There. This could be big. This yeah. could be massive. Thank God we, we uh, got our... Technado domain from the Dominican Republic at techne.show. <laughs> uh, but speaking of that stuff, I uh, want to let you know about a couple things coming up. We have uh, a cybersecurity, another one of the cybersecurity webinars coming up with Daniel, and it's Ben Fink this time, I believe. Uh, right, Daniel? And that's oh yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yep. awesome. Ben. And that is uh, next Thursday. Uh, August 18th. So uh, be on the lookout for that one. Head over to it2pro.tv slash webinars, register for that. Also, you can see all the past webinars like the one Don just did on uh, how to get into IT, uh, which is really cool as well. We answered a lot of questions. I, I like this kind of new approach that we're doing where we're uh, spending less time on, on presenting something and more time on just taking the questions from the audience and seeing what you guys really want to know. And, uh, and that way, uh, hopefully you're getting more out of it. Uh, in the end. So so be sure to check those out. Um, also, head over to techne.do or technado.com, and you can see all the latest episodes, check out our swag, send us some feedback. You can also click the big orange button in the corner that says sponsored by IT Pro TV. You can get 30% off the lifetime of your IT Pro TV subscription. Uh, you can also request a team trial and find out all the great features available to teams uh, from IT Pro TV as well. So check that out over at techne.do. And uh, yeah, so uh, as I said before, Daniel and I out here at Black Hat, we're, uh, when we wrap this up, we're going to go um, check out some of the things going on. We're, we've got our um, event tonight where we're going to meet some, some members out here. Uh, and again, that'll all be on the podcast next week. Um, so uh, be sure to check that out. Don, are you, are you upset? that you did not make the trip? You know, I, a, a little bit. I, I wanted to go. I, I've been traveling a lot lately. You guys know from yeah. my appearances here. Uh, <laughs> and I've actually got another trip. I'll be in Arizona here in a couple of weeks. So uh, I couldn't make it out there. But the the SemperSec guys, which is one of the uh, security auditing companies we work with, they, they're having a big party. There's a number of people that we talk to all throughout the year that are going to be there. So, you know, if you're in Vegas for the event, be sure to look around. You'll probably see some familiar faces. Yeah, and a lot going on now, too. You've got B-Sides Vegas going on, and you, obviously you have DEFCON happening right after uh, Black Hat as well. So, yeah, there's probably a lot of people that just camped out here for a week and a half or so um, with all the different events going on. So hopefully we'll be a good time. But uh, in the meantime, we want to thank you all for watching, and uh, we really want to thank our production crew today because they helped us kind of navigate this uh, craziness between hotel Wi-Fi and finding places where we could uh, actually set up and still put on the podcast for you. Um, so shout out to everyone involved uh, on the back end there. We appreciate your help and uh, we appreciate all of you watching and we'll see you next week right here on Tech Native with Don Pizzette.